I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is News Du Jour. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to the news du jour, a calmer space to consume the news. So today we have not one, not two, but four mini stories for you guys. And we also have basically two longer stories. However, they are broken down. The first one is broken down into many parts, and there are a lot of updates to go over. This may be a long episode, so let's go ahead and jump right in. So for our first mini story today, I wanted to give you guys a little update on the Maui fires. So the number of people missing in the Maui fires has now dropped down to 66. At one point, the missing number was like 3,000. So luckily, the death toll has stayed about 115. So that means that these people are being located and they're being found alive, which is phenomenal news. Let's hope that they can find that last 66 safe and sound. For our second mini story, Hurricane Lee is still building out in the Atlantic and it will likely hit the east coast of the United States this week. It will likely show up in very strong rip tides and large swells of ocean water and flooding. It will certainly be life-threatening. If you live along the east coast, be sure to tune in to your local weather channels for more specific information and warnings. For our third mini story, Nancy Pelosi announced on Friday that she will seek re-election. She is now 83 years old. Many thought that she was headed towards retirement, but she has definitely kept us all guessing. But incredibly, she is only the seventh oldest in the House of Representatives alone, which is pretty crazy. Our leadership is starting to hold on to their power into geriatric years. And America is really reckoning with how old is too old to lead. And for our final mini story here at the top, Hillary Clinton will be co-teaching a class on global decision making at Columbia University. And as a former first lady, as well as a former secretary of state, she has a lot of information on that subject. So she's always thrived in academia more than anywhere else. So I'm sure this will be very fun for her. For our first longer story, we are kind of going over in this story periphery stories to do with Trump's legal woes. And what I mean by periphery is like people in his orbit who are kind of being sucked into his courtroom drama. Let's start with Mark Meadows. So Mark Meadows was one of several defendants in the Georgia case who wanted their cases to be moved to federal court. If you guys remember, Mark Meadows was Trump's chief of staff in those late days. 
The charges would have been the same if they had been moved to federal court. However, the jury would have been pooled throughout the state, meaning also from some rural areas rather than just the urban area where the charges are being brought. So it was more likely that they would get some Trump lovers in the mix and one person can throw the entire case. So it definitely would have served Mark Meadows to have the case moved to a federal court. Mark also wanted a speedy trial versus some of his other co-defendants, cough, cough, President Trump. But a judge just ruled that this case would not be moved to federal court as there was really no basis for doing so. Mark Meadows had even taken to the stand to plead for his case to be moved, but to no avail. An October 23rd trial date has now been set for Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell, who have both invoked their right to a speedy trial. We'll definitely keep you guys posted on these ongoing Georgia cases. And that leads me to Lindsey Graham. So something interesting that has come to light in the past few days is that Lindsey Graham, the U.S. senator, was actually supposed to have some charges brought against him, too, in the Georgia case. How do we know this? Well, the grand jury has said that they recommended he be charged, but for some reason, the charges never came. You see, Lindsey Graham is an outspoken Trump supporter on Capitol Hill, maybe not to the same extent as Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gaetz, some of these more extreme people in his orbit, but Lindsey Graham's definitely up there. And in fact, it turns out that the grand jury recommended indicting more than twice as many defendants as Fonnie actually charged. And she charged 18 people. Now, does that mean that charges won't be brought against Lindsey Graham or won't be brought against all these other people? Absolutely not. Maybe Fonnie is taking her time to really perfect the case against Graham separately from the others or maybe even more cases. Michael Flynn was one of the names on that list that also stuck out to me as he was someone who had already been convicted of crimes to do with Trump, but Trump pardoned him. So this would be sending him back, you know, into the courtroom without the helpful hand of a friend in the White House. We'll just have to wait and see what happens, of course, and we'll definitely keep you guys posted. And that leads me to my third and final person kind of in Trump's orbit where there's new information to do with legal battles. Peter Navarro, indicted. So Peter Navarro was a trade advisor to President Trump in the White House. He was asked to testify in front of Congress to do with the January 6th attacks on our Capitol because he was someone who was really outspoken in front of the TV cameras and things like that in those days following the election. He did not do so, though. In spite of the fact that he was issued a subpoena, he never showed up to testify about January 6th. He tried to argue that President Trump had ordered him not to comply, and thus he was covered by executive privilege. But this argument simply did not hold water legally. The judge said right at the top, you're not allowed to use this argument because it doesn't hold water legally. It doesn't make sense. So he also could not produce any evidence that Trump had given him this order, nothing in writing and nothing from Trump himself. So, you know, even if this did stand from a legal 
you know, perspective, he would need some evidence that this order actually happened. Steve Bannon, who was another Trump strategist, he was found guilty of the same thing about a year ago. He will likely serve four months in prison, but is currently appealing his case. Navarro also plans to appeal as well. He was convicted on two counts, both of which carry a fine of up to $100,000 and a one-year maximum prison sentence. But again, he's appealing this, so it may be a while before we see him face any actual consequences. I also wanted to make you guys aware, just like a little tidbit that's kind of relevant to all of this. If you guys remember, we covered last week about Enrique Tario being sentenced in the January 6th attacks. So he was the leader of the Proud Boys and he got the harshest sentence that has been handed out 22 years for his role in basically planning the January 6th attacks. So I wanted to make you guys aware that there's been a reaction to this Two fellow Republican candidates, the ones most similar to Trump in terms of their values, Ramaswamy and DeSantis, they both called the Proud Boys sentencing, quote, excessive and, quote, wrong, respectively. And they have even suggested that they may pardon some or all of the Proud Boys if they are elected. And for the remainder of this episode, we are of course going to be covering the earthquake in Morocco. I have to issue a content warning here. This story involves a deadly natural disaster. So according to Morocco's interior ministry, over 2,012 people have now died from a catastrophic 6.8 to 7.2 magnitude earthquake in Marrakesh or near Marrakesh, in Morocco. And that number is expected to rise and has actually risen rapidly over the weekend. In Morocco, like in Turkey, the buildings were not built to withstand earthquakes like this. There hasn't been an earthquake like this in this area in over a hundred years, according to NPR. There will be three days of national mourning. Shelters are being erected for the homeless and the injured. Obviously, the search efforts are ongoing with all hands on deck searching for trapped survivors. The French immediately swung into action and they actually have, of course, a long history with Morocco, which is why it is largely French speaking. The two are very close also geographically. They sent aid both financially as well as physically to Morocco, and they even set up a hotline to get people assistance through the French embassy there. Turkey, Algeria, Israel, and the U.S. are just some of the other nations that have offered aid as well. There are so many. And of course, the emotional thing about Turkey sending aid is that we they know this hurt. If you guys remember, back in February, they experienced a catastrophic earthquake that killed an estimated 50,000 people, according to Reuters. Our heart goes out to all those affected by this terrible natural disaster. You can check our show notes for places to donate, and we will definitely keep you guys posted as this situation evolves. And that is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with a quote. Be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review or shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us be able to keep creating the news du jour. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugar-free media. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram and just sugarfree media, all one word on TikTok. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from... Oh, 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 oh.